Um, chapter 12, verse 1. Now concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I do not want you to be unaware. You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to the mute idols, however you were led. Therefore I make known to you that no one speaking by the Spirit of God says Jesus is accursed, and no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Spirit. We'll talk about that at a different time. He says, but now there are varieties of gifts with the same Spirit. There are varieties of ministries with the same Lord. There are varieties of effects with the same God who works all things and all persons. But to each one is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. In other words, why is Paul saying this? Because some people were using the gifts of the Spirit to glorify themselves. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Not that that happens in any churches today. I've never seen it. <laughs> but people were using the gifts to glorify themselves. So again, this is a church that was gifted. They had lots of gifts. They, had, they were able to, to operate in gifts. They were able to do uh, miraculous things. And yet, Paul is correcting them because they were immature. And that's the thing about the Holy Spirit. The, God would so much rather us have the fruits of the Spirit rather than the gifts of the Spirit. But we as believers, we want the gifts of the Spirit, but we don't care about the fruits of the Spirit. And so many people, and God will let you operate in the gifts of the Holy Spirit, but you can be, you can, you can speak in tongues, you can float on the air, you can do all kinds of miraculous things and be completely devoid of the Spirit of God. Amen. And God and Paul is correcting his children and saying, I don't want you to be that way. So again, we, the church that he's talking to is very, very immature. Um, this is uh, verse 8. It says, For one is given the word of wisdom through the Spirit, to another the word of knowledge according to the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by one Spirit, and to another the effecting of miracles, and to another prophecy, and to another this distinguishing of spirits, to, to another various kinds of tongues and to another the interpretation of tongues. I don't know if you guys see what I see, but what I see is a spreading out of the gifts, right? And that God doesn't have superstars. God has common people like you and like me that he uses. That he, He's just looking for empty vessels, right? Now, one thing about those vessels is he wants them to be clean. Right? But God, God doesn't want superstars in the church. God wants each person to find their gift, to operate in their gift. And to each person, each one of us, God has given each person in this room, every person that's a Christian, every person that's a true believer, God has given you a gift. And God wants us to find that gift and to operate in that gift. Do you believe that people can operate in more than one gift? Yeah. Okay. I think Paul did. I think, well, Jesus obviously did too, right? Yeah. <laughs> it says, um, verse 12, For even as the body is one, and yet has many members, and all are members of the body, though they are many, are one body, so also is Christ. For by one Spirit we were all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, and we were all made to drink of one Spirit. For the body is not one member, but many. It's not some superstar. It's all of us, right? Yeah. If the foot says, because I'm a foot, because I am not a hand, I am not part of the body. It's not for this reason any part, any less a part of the body. And if the ear says, because I'm not an eye, I'm not part of the body. It's not for this reason any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, and again, what's he saying here? There's people say, well, you know, because, 
because I'm not like this, I can't participate, right? Or because I'm not like this. And that, that's the thing, guys, because we look at our imperfections, right? And believe me, we all have imperfections, right? Every pastor that you know, every preacher that you know, Paul himself had imperfections. Now, the thing about a true disciple is they're trying to do away with the imperfections. They're trying to grow more and more every day closer to Christ and more and more into the image of Christ, right? But every person has imperfections. And because of those imperfections, God's saying, that does not disqualify you from what I have given you to do, right? Now, again, God does want us to deal with things, and just like Paul is telling these guys, he's telling them, you need to deal with certain things. But at the same time, he still says, but God has given you gifts to be used, but it's not to be used for yourself. It's not to be used for your selfish ambition. It's not to be used for your pride or your glory. It's to be used for the edification of the body and for the glorification of God, right? Um, it says, if the whole body were an eye, in verse 17, where would the hearing be? If the whole were hearing, where would the sense of smell be? Again, it's like, you know, just because we can't all be the worship leader doesn't mean that we can't worship. Just because we can't all be the pastor doesn't mean that we can't use our gifts and whatever, right? And again, the church is set up today in that there are, it's like, well, we got this one guy, this guy does everything, and everybody else just listens or whatever and stuff. Which is great about uh, Denton Freedom House because Jeremy allows people to get up and yeah. share and give a word and, yeah. and to use their gifts, which is awesome. Right. So, yeah, that's awesome. Um... It says, but verse 18, but now God has placed the members, each one of them in the body, just as he desired. If they were all one member, where would the body be? But now there are many members, but one body. And the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Or again, the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, it's much truer that the members of the body, which seem to be weaker, are necessary. And those members of the body, which we deem less honorable, on these we bestow more abundant honor. And our, on our less presentable members become much more presentable. So he goes through all this stuff. We all know 1 Corinthians 13, right? If I speak in the tongues of men and angels, but do not have love, I become a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and I know all mysteries and all knowledge and have all faith so as to remove mountains, but do not have love, I'm nothing. If I give all my possessions to feed the poor and if I surrender my body to be burned, but do not have love, it, pro it profits me nothing. And that verse is so amazing. He says, if I give all of my possessions, and look at what he's saying. He says, if I, Paul, if I, Paul, give all of my possessions to feed the poor, and if I surrender my body to be burned, but do not have love, it profits me nothing. I mean, that scripture is just amazing to me. It's the same as when Jesus said, many in that day are going to say, Lord, Lord, didn't we cast out demons in your name? Didn't we do all these wonderful things? And he's going to say, depart from me. I never knew you. And Paul is saying, you guys are missing the boat because you think that your gifts are to glorify yourself. But the gifts that God has given you is to be, are to be used through love for the edification of your brothers and your sisters. And that's the thing. The gift that God's given us is not for ourselves. It's for the body. So again, the Corinthian church was an immature church. They were just crazy. 
They were just wild and out of control. They had all these newfound gifts, and I mean, they're just operating uncontrollably in them. Um, look at... Uh, I'm going to say one quick thing. Um, uh, in churches that we have been in where the women are poorly treated, um, they'll say, you know, the woman, she's a weaker vessel, and Paul said that. It even says here that those which seem to be weaker are necessary. You always steal my stuff. Oh, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I never yeah. saw it written. Sure we will actually talk about that. Okay. In uh, uh, 1 Corinthians 14, verse 1, he says, Pursue love, yet, yet desire earnestly spiritual gifts. So Paul's not against the gifts. Now, if you read these other chapters and just left them right there, you would think Paul's against spiritual gifts. But, and that's the thing. Again, we got to take all of Scripture. You have to take Scripture as a whole. You can't just read a part of it and stop right there. You have to read the whole thing. So Paul is not against spiritual gifts at all. In other words, he, and, as a matter of fact, he says, earnestly desire spiritual gifts, but especially that you may prophesy. For one who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men, but to God. For no one understands, but in his spirit he speaks mysteries. But one who prophesies speaks to men for edification and exhortation and consolation. One who speaks in a tongue edifies himself, but one who prophesies edifies the church. Now I wish that you all spoke in tongues, but even more that you would prophesy. And greater is one who prophesies, remember that, greater is one who prophesies than one who speaks in tongues unless he interprets so that the church may receive edifying. So what's happening here? People are just ripping off in tongues. I mean, imagine this church service. People are just speaking in tongues. People are just taking communion like however they want to, just pigging out and getting drunk and, and just all kinds of craziness. Well, people are just speaking in tongues, and it's just, it's a mess. I mean, imagine if you went to a church service and just people are all just speaking in tongues. I mean, it, it would be crazy. <clears throat> He says in verse 6, But now, brethren, I come to you, <clears throat> if I come to you speaking in tongues, what will I profit you unless I speak to you either by way of revelation or of knowledge or of, prophesy, of prophecy or of teaching? Yet even lifeless things, either flute or harp, and producing a sound, if they do not produce a distinction in the tones, how will it be known what is played on the flute or on the harp? So again, Paul is saying, don't just speak in tongues just because you can speak in tongues. If it's not edifying to somebody, then stop doing it. Um, verse, uh, <clears throat> verse 10, there are perhaps a great many kinds of languages in the world, and no kind is without meaning. If then I do not know the meaning of the language, I will be to the one who speaks a barbarian, and the one who speaks will be a barbarian to me. So also, since you are zealous of spiritual gifts, seek to abound for the edification of the church. Verse 13, Therefore let no one who speaks in a tongue pray, or therefore let one who speaks in a tongue pray that he may interpret. For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind's unfruitful. What's the outcome then? I will pray with the spirit, and I will pray with the mind also. I will sing with the spirit, and I will sing with the mind also. Um... Go down to verse 20. Brethren, do not be children in your thinking, yet in evil be infants, but in your thinking be mature. Now, I think that's so amazing because a lot of churches are like, you know, you don't have to reason things. You don't have to, you don't have to think so hard. Just, just, be, just let the Spirit take you. Just, and, and basically, you know, they're just saying just give in to your emotions. God has given us a mind. 
And God wants us to use that mind. And you know, this happens in a lot of charismatic circles. Is people throw out their minds and they operate in the gifts. And this is exactly what Paul is combating. You know, that's what, that's what they do in, in New Age things and in, in automatic writing and stuff. They blank their minds and they let the Spirit take over. There is nowhere in the Word of God where God tells us to blank our minds or to, or to get rid of our thinking or just let the Spirit take over or anything like that. God has given us a Spirit. He has given us the mind of Christ. The mind does not just just dull itself or just doesn't go dormant it doesn't go doesn't turn itself off so that the spirit can operate the mind operates with the spirit and that's what paul is saying here don't just mindlessly operate in the gifts and that's where the satanic can happen and even that's where people with the gifts and that's where in revival Many times, and in moves of God, many times weirdness happens because people are blanking their minds and just saying, well, this is the Spirit, what the Spirit is leading me to do. I'm just going to let the Spirit operate my limbs and my arms, and, and, and it's good. It makes your flesh feel good, but God is not in it because God never tells you to turn your mind off. He wants us to use our minds to operate with the Spirit. We are co-laborers with Christ. We operate with Him. We are, we are just, we are together with Him. We are never at any point to blank our minds or to throw our minds out. He says, um, verse 13, Therefore let everyone who speaks in a tongue pray that he may interpret, for if I pray, wait, where was I? Verse, verse 20. Brethren, do not be evil in your thinking, yet, it, yet in evil be infants, but in your thinking be mature. Um, in the lots written by men of strange tongues and by lips of strangers, I will speak to this people, and even so they will not listen to me, says the Lord. So then tongues are for a sign, not to those who believe, but to the unbelievers. But prophecy is a sign, not to unbelievers, but to those who believe. Now this, is be, this will be important in the future. Prophecy is not... For unbelievers, prophecy is for the church. Mm -hmm. All right? Therefore, if the whole church assembles together and all speak in tongues and ungifted men or unbelievers enter, will they not say that you're mad? But if all prophesy and an unbeliever or an ungifted man enters, he's convicted by all and he's called to account by all. The secrets of his hearts are disclosed and so he will fall on his face and worship God, declaring that God is certainly among you. What is the outcome then, brethren, when you assemble? Each one has a psalm, has, each one has a psalm, has a teaching, has a revelation, has a tongue, has an interpretation. Let all things done be done for edification. Again, the purpose of gifts, the purpose for everything is so that people, excuse me, can be edified and people in the Corinthian church were not being edified. If anyone speaks in a tongue, it should be by two or three at the most, and each one in turn. And one must interpret, but if there's no interpreter, he must keep silent in the church and let him speak to himself and to God. I've seen lots of churches where this doesn't happen too. People just speak in tongues and there's no interpreter. He says in verse 29, let two or three prophets speak and let the others pass judgment. But if a revelation is made to another who is seated, the first one must keep silent. For you can all prophesy one by one so that all may learn and all may be exhorted. Now look at that. He says you can all prophesy one by one. So what was happening? Everybody's trying to prophesy at the same time. Everyone's trying to speak in tongues at the same time. It's a mess. Everyone's just jabbering and trying to do their thing. Oh, I got my gift. My gift needs to be exercised here. You need to be quiet and listen to me. 
And everybody's trying to do it at the same time. So unbelievers are walking in and going, this is chaos. I don't want any part of this. And Paul is trying to correct that. Um, verse, uh, verse 31 again. So, For you can all prophesy one by one so that you may all learn and all may be exhorted. And the spirits are prophets are subjects to prophets. In other words, there's control and there's self-control. It's not something that's just out of control, but it's something that is controlled not only by yourself, but by the rest of the church. Um, for God is not a God of confusion, but, is but of peace, as in all the churches of the saints. Then he says, women are keep silent in the churches, for they are not permitted to speak, uh, but are to subject themselves, just as the law also says. If they desire to learn anything, let them ask their husband, their own husbands at home, for it's improper for a woman to speak in church. Now, one thing that all this, for the last three or four weeks, I've been searching the scriptures to see where the law says that women are not permitted to speak in the assembly. It's not anywhere in the Old Testament. So, I don't know here what Paul is trying to say. Uh, all the resources that I've looked at, nobody knows for sure what Paul was trying to say here. Was he talking about the law as in the biblical law? Was he talking about the law as in, uh, you know, the law of the Corinthians, the law of the people of the land? Because definitely at this time, women were not permitted to do a lot of things. So, if we don't know completely what he's talking about, could we be missing it in other areas? that make sense? Could we maybe be wrong? Is it something that we maybe need to take another look at and say, well, maybe I don't know this as well as I thought I did. So verse 38 is like really for us. Because <laughs> but if anyone does not recognize this, he's not recognized. <laughs> Our mind says, if any of you be ignorant, we'll be ignorant. Yeah. <laughs> like, well, that's, that's, a good that's, that's a good translation. But, that's, that King but again, that's the thing. With, with the study of Scripture, if we're going to be adamant about something, if we're going to say, this is a line I draw in the sand and I'm willing to lay everything down on it, we really need to know what it's about, right? Yeah. So, so, and again... Because we're 21st century Christians, we may not necessarily be able to know everything about a particular thing. Does that make sense? Okay. Um, so, you know, the, the Bible, all throughout the, the Bible, it talks about the treatment of slaves. Right? Mm -hmm. You guys have read about stuff in the Bible about the treatment of slaves, right? Um, just to kind of recap stuff, in Exodus 20, 21, verse 20, if you killed a slave... Um, you were you were brought to punishment for it, right? In Exodus twenty one twenty six through seven, if you permanently injured a slave by beating them or whatever, you had to set your slave free. So all throughout the Bible, God was very specific in ethically treating slaves, right? Does that make sense? Um, in, matter of fact, in in uh, Exodus twenty one verse two. It made a provision that if your slave, if every six years they had to set their slaves free, right? God told them in Exodus, every six years, your slave, you must set your slaves free, right? But there was a provision in the law that if your slave didn't want to be set free, he didn't have to. And there was a process that they would go through. They'd take an awl and pierce your ear through it and things like that. And that slave would become yours forever. And... 
And so basically God was very concerned about the treatment of slaves and very concerned that slave holders treat their slaves um, justly and fairly. And along these lines, again, this is off subject, off topic and stuff, but you know, there's so much in our time, in our day about the mistreatment of slaves in America. There was mistreatment of slaves in America. I'm not disputing that. But for the most part, these were an economical investment. In the same way that you wouldn't just go out and start beating your horse, if you're wise, if you're smart, you wouldn't just go out and start beating your slave. Does that make sense? Now, I'm not saying, and I'm not justifying slavery at all. I'm just saying that our, our view of things gets skewed. Sometimes it gets skewed by our personal preferences. It gets skewed by our, 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 our um, political ideologies. And it gets skewed a lot of times by how we want things to look. And so our view in modern America about slavery in America was that everyone who had slaves, he would go out and just beat them every day and mistreat them and, and, and treat them really bad. Well, if you, if you look at historical... Um, documents about how slaves were actually treated, wise people treated their slaves well, okay? Now, again, I'm not justifying slavery, and I'm glad that it was abolished and all that, but I'm just saying that it's not always the picture that we think that it is. Does that make sense? Okay. Um, so, again, God was very serious in, in the Bible about how slaves were treated. Even in Philemon, turn to Philemon. Philemon is right before Hebrews. The book of Philemon was written by Paul to a slave owner, and most of that book was, was, was the issue was about how Paul was, to, or how a slaveholder was to treat his slave. Okay? Look in verse 4. Finally, man's after... It's right before Hebrews. Right. Go to Hebrews and turn left. Okay. In Philemon verse 4, Paul is writing a letter to a man named Philemon. He says, I thank my God always making mention of you in my prayers because I hear of your love and of the faith which you have toward the Lord Jesus and toward all the saints. And I pray that the fellowship of your faith may become effective through the knowledge of every good thing which is in you for Christ's sake. For I have come to, to have much joy and comfort in your love because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you, brother. So this is a good believing brother, right? A good man, a good Christian. Therefore, though I have enough confidence in Christ in order to order you to do what is proper, yet for love's sake I rather appeal to you, since I am such a person as Paul the aged, and now also a prisoner of Christ Jesus. Look at this in verse 10. I appeal to you for my child Onesimus, whom I have begotten in my imprisonment. In other words, while Paul was in imprisonment, he met a person, and he led that person to Jesus. Who formerly was useless to you, but now is useful both to you and to me. I have, I have sent him back to you in person, that is, sending my very heart, whom I wish to keep with me so that on your behalf he might minister to me in my imprisonment for the gospel. But without your consent, I did not want to do anything so that your goodness would not be in effect by compulsion, but of your own free will. For perhaps he was for this reason separated for you for a while so that you would have him back forever. No longer, look at this in verse 16, no longer as a slave, but more than a slave, a beloved brother, especially to me, but how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord. You see that? So in the New Testament, Paul is saying to Onesimus, treat your slave well. Now then, 
Is there anyone in this room that believes that God is for slavery? No. No, right? Nobody in this room believes that God is behind slavery, right? Mm -hmm. And why do we believe that he's not that way? There's not any scriptures that say that, is there? I mean, there are scriptures that say that God has created us all equal, but there are no scriptures where God says, I hate slavery, I want you to abolish it, right? So, my point is, is that we believe God is against scripture, as against slavery through scripture by the things that he says, by the way that he tells us to love each other, by his nature and by his character, right? So we can, we can look at Scripture and say that even though slavery was a part of their culture, a part of their society, God, that's not what God's will was. Right? But there were certain things. Change takes time. Change does not happen overnight. Change comes. It's again, just like the whole thing of slavery in our country. It's still happening in front of our very eyes today. They were set free over a hundred years ago, but they're still fighting that fight. And it's still a back and forth thing because we as a culture and as a society have not come to the full realization and the full nature of the truth. Does that make sense? And so I do not believe it was ever in God's heart. It was ever God's desire that men have slaves. And it's part of Jesus coming, part of Jesus um, dying for all, and part of Jesus loving all that brought in freedom of slavery, freedom from slavery. That makes sense? In the same way, Jesus set women free. And in the same way, it's still taking the church, it's still taking a lot of us a long time to understand that and to grasp it and to live it, right? Because the truth is not a truth until you live it. And so God set slaves free. He set the captives free, right? The Bible says there's no slave, no Jew, no Gentile, no Greek, no male or female in Christ. Christ has set everyone free. It's for freedom that Jesus came. And so, Jesus is not going to liberate a people to be set in bondage again. And when Jesus delivers people, he means for them to be delivered completely, right? Um, let's see. I mean, so... Look at, turn to Matthew 19, verse 1. And this is the thing. A lot of times, what God wants and what man wants are two different things. Right? Right? <laughs> I can testify. It's just like, and we, you know, there are so many people that say, you know, if it's God's will, it's going to happen. And there's nothing that can stop it. Um, the Bible says it's God's will that not one person should perish. But that all should be saved and come to everlasting life. Mm -hmm. So mankind, God has given man free will. And because of that, we can thwart God's will for our own selfish desires. 
Because God did not create us to be robots. He did not create us to be automatons. He created us to be able to love him out of our own choice, out of our own desire, and out of our own free will. And in, yeah. And the thing is, is, to me, that doesn't diminish God's glory. That magnifies his yeah. glory because God doesn't have to be a control freak. God knew the risk that he was taking. He knew the chance that he was taking when he gave men free will. But if it wasn't free will, then it would not truly be love. Yeah, it wouldn't be authentic. Yeah. And in Matthew 19, verse 1, Jesus is talking. It says, When Jesus had finished these words, he departed from Galilee and came into the region of Judea beyond the Jordan. And large crowds followed him, and he healed them there. Some Pharisees came to Jesus, testing him, and asking, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any reason at all? And again, when we're reading the scriptures, read words like that. That's the thing. There are always keys. There are always clues that God has given us to take us in the right direction. They don't say, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? They say, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any reason at all? And that is the heart of the issue. Okay, And Jesus answered and he said, Have you not read that he who created them made them from the beginning male and female? And he said, For this reason a man will leave his father and his mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. And what therefore God has joined together, let no man separate. They said to him, Why then did Moses command to give her a certificate of divorce and send her away? Okay. So the Jews at this time are divorcing their, their wives for whatever reason they want to, okay? Their wife's not pleasing them. They, they want a younger model. They want, they, their wife made them mad the day before. Their wife doesn't serve them the way they want to. So they're just going to get rid of them for any reason, whatever that they want to do. And they're saying that the reason why is because Moses allowed them to. Do you see that? It says in, in verse, uh, verse 8, or read verse 7, they said again, Then they said to him, Why then did Moses command to give her a certificate of divorce and send her away? Jesus said to them, Because of your hardness of heart, Moses permitted you to divorce your wives, but from the beginning it has not been this way. And I say to you, whoever divorces his wife except for immorality and marries another woman commits adultery. So again, what he's saying is like, and again, it was a cultural thing. Um, it was not God's will. This is not God's intent. This is not what God had originally designed. But Moses allowed it. And Moses was the man of God, right? And so my point being is, again, this is not what God's will was, but it was happening, right? It's just like in another another couple places, um, uh 1 Corinthians 3, verse 1 and 2. You, you want to turn there? 1 Corinthians 3, verse 1 and 2. Yeah. If you want to. Okay. In 1 Corinthians 3, verse 1 and 2, scriptures that we're all familiar with, it says, Paul is speaking again to the Corinthians. He says, And I, brethren, could not speak to you as spiritual men, but as to men of flesh, as to infants in Christ. I gave you milk to drink, not solid food. Listen to this. For you were not yet able to receive it. Indeed, even now you're not able. 
So there are things that the Lord, through Paul, wanted to speak to these people, but he wasn't able to do it because they weren't ready. It's just like when Jesus went to his hometown of Nazareth, and he wasn't able, Jesus, the God in the flesh, could not heal people and could not do many miracles there because of the people's unbelief. You see that? So people thwarted the will of God because of their own unbelief and their own desires. Even Jesus talking to disciples in John, um, John 16, you don't have to turn there, but in John 16, 7, he says, there's many things that I would like to tell you, but you're not able to bear them. So again, the point being is that, okay, so things happen in the church. God's original intention, his original desire were for man and woman to be equals, co-heirs, co-rulers, to rule over his creation and to do his will and to be a light to the world. And because of men's evil desires, their hearts fell away from that. Even good men, does that make sense? Even good men weren't following God the way that God had originally desired. And so over the centuries, again, men, uh, men began to dominate the women. The women became possessions to be owned. We talked about it last week. I know people now who cheat on their wives, and it's okay for them to do that. Yeah, it's no problem. They brag about it. They talk about it. But if their wives were to ever do that to them, all hell would happen, right? Mm -hmm. And this is the mindset. And this is an unregenerate mindset. And this is something that God is wanting to renew in his people in the church of Christ. He wants to renew our minds that have gotten away from the original intent. Can I ask a quick question? Yes. Um, if God's original intent was it to be one man and one woman in marriage, was when he quote unquote allowed David to have more than one wife, is that an example of what you're saying? Well, again, the original what was the original intention? One man, one woman in the garden, right? Mm -hmm. Now, the record, the biblical record doesn't give us the instance of when polygamy, polygamy came into being, came into existence, right? Um, but we know that that wasn't God's original intention. So when it, again, this is part of, in, I think, is when men were drifting away from the purposes of God and doing their own will. Even good men, like David, like you say, were, were, were doing things that that's not what God had intended. And that's my point, is I believe that the church is still trying to do things and, and uh, treat women in ways that God did not intend in the beginning. Okay? Um, and again, when, you know, you see it over and over again. When people first get their taste of freedom, they go haywire. I mean, look at the L.A. riots in the 1980s whenever there were brownouts and, like, the city of L.A. would lose electricity. What, what happens when any major city loses electricity? People start rioting. People break into stores and start stealing stuff. People start, all kinds of crime just starts happening, Right? And same with us. A lot of times we're, we're given a newfound freedom that we didn't have before. A lot of, and, and we just go to excesses with it. And that's what was happening in the Corinthian church. These people were going to excess on what Paul was trying to teach them, on what, uh, what they had received through their salvation. And Paul is trying to bring them to the truth. He's trying to center them, trying to focus them, and, and trying to bring them from their chaos 
Just like God in the very beginning, he says, God looked at the world and he saw that it was chaos. That word for darkness in Genesis 1, it's the word chaos. God looked at it and he saw chaos. And in the midst of that chaos, he said, let there be light. Let there be order. Let there be rule. God is not a God of disorder. God is a God of order, right? And so God is trying to bring order to these people. And uh, just like it says in Galatians 5, uh, 5 verse 13, it says, don't turn your freedom into an opportunity to, to the flesh. And so over and over, you see the New Testament writers saying, you've got this newfound freedom. Don't turn it into an opportunity for your flesh. Just like you talked about before, all things are lawful, but not all things are profitable. So we have this freedom in Christ, but what is that freedom for? It's to serve other people. It's to lift other people. It's to edify other people. Okay? And so, again, these people, these people had this newfound freedom. The women, uh, a lot of the women were going out without their heads covered. So they were looking like prostitutes. And they were thinking that it's because Christ has set me free. Right? And Paul is combating that and saying, no, you are not free to look like a prostitute. You're not free to live like any way you want to do. You're not free to uh, sleep with anyone that you want to sleep with. You're not free to exercise the spiritual gifts to glorify yourself. You are free to submit to someone else. You are free to lay your life down for your brothers and your sisters. You are free to glorify God. Does that make sense? Yeah, which is kind of too when um, it says Jesus, though he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but rather emptied himself and oh, became a servant. That's really so good. So even though Christ had the right to, to rule and be the one in charge, he even he emptied himself to serve. And so I think that what was probably happening is the women were, they knew they were free, mm -hmm. and so they were kind of lording that over their husbands and their and the men in the church, and they were probably just really pushy with their freedom. I mean, that's, that's just really a good. theory, but... Yeah, and that's the thing. That's the things that we have to surmise is that, again, if a woman, if these women are thinking that it's okay to look like prostitutes, if people are just, just speaking in tongues, if people are prophesying over each other and it's just chaos and things, Paul, this is a messed up church. And so the women in this church were messed up, so were the men, but everybody in this church is messed up. And Paul is bringing order to their chaos, and he's trying to correct their, their situations. Um, in 1 Peter 3, verse 7, this is what you were talking about. 1 Peter 3, verse 7, Paul, or Peter, speaking to the church, he says, You husbands, in the same way, live with your wives in an understanding way as with someone weaker, since she is a woman, and show her honor as a fellow heir of the grace of life, so that your prayers will not be hindered. Okay, so Peter says that the women are weaker, right? So back to 1 Corinthians 14, where he was talking about, I'll just read it to you in verse 23. Therefore, if the whole church assembles together and all speak in tongues and ungifted men or unbelievers enter, will they not say that you're mad? But if all prophesy and an unbeliever or an ungifted man enters, he's convicted by all. Um, Corinthians 12. Huh? Yeah, 12. Yeah, he says, verse 18, verse 12. 
or chapter 12, verse 18, but now God has placed the members, each one of them in the body, just as he desired. If they were all one member, where would the body be? And now there are many members, but one body, and the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, or again, the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, it's much truer that the members of the body, which seem to be weaker, are necessary, right? <clears throat> Peter said that women were the weaker ones, right? Well, what does Paul say? He said the weaker ones are necessary. Not only that, but his emphasis is that the weaker ones are even more necessary. And so he's not saying exclude the women. Don't let them have a part in the ministry. But he's saying the women are necessary. The gifts of the women are necessary. We need those. He says, on the contrary, it's much truer that the members of the body which seem to be weaker are necessary, and those members of the body which we deem less honorable, and the body is certainly deemed women as less honorable. He says, on these we bestow more abundant honor, and our less presentable members become much more presentable. You see that? And so, again, God created women, and the thing, we are all, men have their strengths and their weaknesses. Women have their strengths and their weaknesses, right? It's just like a marriage. The thing that makes our marriage work is we're almost complete opposites. But where I'm weak, she's strong. And where Amy's strong, I'm weak, right? And so we can, we can help each other in those areas. And that's the way that God designed it. And that's the way God designed it in the church. Look at 1 Corinthians 14, verse 5. Sorry, I know this is a lot of stuff, but... 14, 5? Uh-huh. Look at what Paul says in 14, verse 5. He says, Now I wish that you all... Do you see that? Now, is the word, the word all is all-inclusive, right? Yeah. If he's writing this to the church and he says, I wish you all, would that not include women too? Or wouldn't he say, I wish you all men, or I wish all the men except the women? Mm -hmm. He said, I wish you all spoke in tongues, but even more that you would prophesy. And greater is the one who prophesies than the one who speaks in tongue, unless he interprets, in, interprets so that the church may receive edifying. Look at verse 23. Again, he says, therefore, if the whole church, and again, when he's saying this, it's the same way when God talks, talked in Genesis about he created man, he created them male and female. So just because he called him man, he didn't mean just the men, right? He meant Adam and Eve, right? In the same way, when Paul talks about all, he means it inclusively in males as well as females. Verse 23, therefore, if the whole church assembles together and all speak in tongues and ungifted... Am I looking at the right thing? Yes. And all... Okay. Uh, ungifted men or unbelievers enter when they not say that you're mad. But if all prophesy and an unbeliever or an ungifted man enters, he's convicted by all. He is called to account by all. The secrets of his heart are disclosed so that he will fall in his face and worship God, declaring that God is certainly among you. So again, what 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 is the outcome then, brethren, when you assemble each one... Each one of you has a psalm, has a teaching, has a revelation, has a tongue, has an interpretation. Let all things done, be done for edification. You see that? Again, I believe Paul is being inclusive and including everyone. So prophecy is speaking. So you're saying, right. what you're saying is... How, how you, can... you can't prophesy unless you speak, right? And that's the thing. If you're going to take it literally, where does it end? Is a woman not supposed to say anything at all? 
-hmm. right? What about choirs that have women in them? What about worship teams that have women in them that are singing, mm -hmm. right? They're speaking. I mean, it, it, you could, it could be taken to ludicrous links, you know? It's like, you, okay, you can't, can't say a single word. Yeah, you can't teach the children. Yeah. So where does it end? If, if that's what Paul truly meant, if that's what Paul truly wants, then, then sure. The thing is, is a lot of times that it's, it's like, we don't believe in women speaking, but well, we'll allow you to teach our kids. We'll allow you to lead worship yeah, because, because yeah. it benefits us. Right. Mm -hmm. Right? So there's a, self, a selfish motive there. You know, it's like, well, it's good for us, so we're going to allow you to do it. Right. And stuff. And, yeah. We, we were in the same situation where, like, there was a husband couple team leading worship. And the woman was actually the one who led worship. She would sing the songs and play the guitar. The guy, all he did was play the bass and stuff. The, the woman led worship. She, for all intents and purposes, she was the worship leader, but she was not the worship leader because she was a woman. And he, he had to be there or she couldn't do it. And, I mean, it's like, where, where does it stop? Where does it end, you know? Um, in 1 Corinthians 11, verse 5, and this is again Paul saying, he says, But every woman who has her head uncovered while praying or prophesying, you see that? Mm, that's good. Disgraces her head. For she is one and the same as a woman whose head is shaved. For if a woman does not cover her head, let her also shave, have her hair cut off. But, but if it is disgraceful for a woman to have her hair cut off, her head... Cut off or her head shaved, let her cover her head. So again, Paul is not saying right here that don't let a woman prophesy in church. He says, but if she's going to do it, she needs to do it in a respectful way. Does that make sense? So again, is Paul contradicting himself? Because if he is, then the Bible's contradicting itself. Is Paul saying that a woman can never speak, then he should say that a woman can never prophesy. Because you can't prophesy without speaking. Okay, so, huh? so, but this is where we look at scripture and we say, well, if this is my belief that a woman can't speak at all, then something's wrong. Mm -hmm. Because right here, he's saying that a woman can. Yeah. Okay. So turn back to 1 Corinthians chapter 14. In verse 34. He says, women are to keep silent in the churches. Now, something else about that word. That word women there, um, that is the same word that's used for wives. Okay? So, you could say wives are, are to keep silent in the churches, for they're not permitted to speak, but are to subject themselves, just as the law also says. If they desire to learn anything, let them ask their husbands at home, for it's improper for a wife to speak in church. You see that? So, again, we don't know for sure because we weren't there. We don't know Paul personally. We don't know for sure if he was talking about women in the church or wives of people's husbands. Right? They were yelling across the room. Yeah. Now, we know that in the, in the tabernacle that the women were separated on one side of the room from the men and <coughs> stuff like that. We don't know for sure that they were, there's, there's nothing that says that they were that way in the church. But again, think about these women had not experienced the learning that the men had. Mm -hmm. Women didn't sit at the feet of the rabbis. Women 
It wasn't necessary for a woman to learn because they were nothing but possessions. Uh, they, they couldn't teach anybody because nobody's going to listen to a woman teach, right? They don't need to know the things of God. So again, you have all these women that are coming into the knowledge of God now. Yeah. And so, of course, they're going to have a ton of questions. And they're going to be excited about coming into the knowledge yeah. of God. Now, we already know that people were prophesying and they're trying to prophesy over each other. People are just randomly speaking in tongues. And so it's mass chaos. And Paul has had to address that situation. Well, if people are speaking in tongues and people are prophesying loudly and stuff, well, what's to stop women from asking their husbands questions, you know, about the Bible and stuff? Loudly across right? the room if they, if they were separated. So what we have here, again, is a picture of chaos. It's a, and Paul is not, in my opinion talking to the women and trying to make a prohibition against women speaking at all in church. We know that it's, it's number one, it's not practical. Number one, it's not, it doesn't make sense, right? Can you not say one word in church? I mean, it doesn't make sense, right? And then it goes against what Paul said earlier when he said when a woman prophesies, that's okay, but she needs to do it like this, right? So all these things tied together makes it very clear to me that he's not saying that a woman cannot speak in church. Always and in every situation. He's talking about there are certain situations in which a woman cannot speak in church. Does that make sense? He's saying there are certain situations where guys can't just prophesy over each other. There are situations where you can't just speak in tongues all the time. There are certain situations when a woman needs to ask her husband at home what he was meaning by that. And, and also, like, like some people say that, well, they can prophesy, but they have to be submitted to their husband, but what if they're single? You know, so obviously single women can speak for the Lord, yeah. but they don't have a husband to ask or they don't have a husband to submit to, so does that mean they're not allowed to prophesy? Uh, I would think not, yeah. but that's just my opinion, right? Yeah, well, that's the thing, too, you know? And again, too, also in their times, in their day and age, a single woman was looked at a lot differently than a married woman. A married woman had a lot more respect than a single woman. A, a single woman was, you know, you need to get married to have kids and, you know, so, you know, all that kind of stuff. So That's still today. Yeah. Okay, so, verse 39. Now, again, did Paul say not everybody just speak in tongues and stuff? So he, he said specific things about people speaking in tongues. He said specific things about the way people prophesied. He said specific things the way people uh, did the Lord's Supper. Told them, you know, eat at home first. Don't, go, don't get drunk and stuff. So he's saying specific things. In verse 39, he says, Therefore, my brethren, desire earnestly to prophesy. So prophesying is not a bad thing. Do not forbid to speak in tongues. So again, there's, he's not laying out this prohibition against prophecy. He's not laying out a prohibition against speaking in tongues. Verse 40 sums the whole thing up. He says, but in all things, but all things must be done properly and in an orderly manner. And that, excuse me, that is the crux of all this thing that Paul's saying. If you want to sum up everything he's saying, he's saying, let it be done orderly and in a proper manner. Now, there were um, 
expectations on married women and how they interacted in society then that aren't necessarily on women now and things. Because again, I believe what's happening is that the church is coming to the realization of what God created women to be. What does the Bible say in Joel? Turn to Joel chapter 2. Or not Joel, Acts chapter 2, sorry. Which is quoting. Which is quoting Joel. But yeah, Acts 2 is the fulfillment. In verse 16, he says, But this is what was spoken of through the prophet Joel. And it shall be in the last days, God says, that I will pour forth of my spirit on all mankind. And your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. And your young man shall see visions, and your old man will dream dreams, even on my bond slavings, both men and women. I will in those days pour forth of my spirit, and they will prophesy. You see that? But look at it, look at it back again in verse 16. He says, but this, well, look at verse 14. But Peter, taking his stand with the eleven, and this is obviously after Pentecost, raised his voice and declared to them, Men of Judea and all you who live in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give heed to my words. For these men are not drunk as you suppose, for it's only the third hour of the day. But this, what you are seeing here and now, this is what the was spoken of through the prophet Joel. It shall be in the last days, God says, that I will pour forth my spirit on all mankind. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your young men shall see visions. Your old men shall dream dreams. Even on my bond slaves, both men and women, I will pour in those days, I will pour forth my spirit. Peter says, this is that. Yeah, God. So Peter is saying right here and right now, God is pouring his spirit out, not just on the men, but on the women. And the women will prophesy. Thank you see you that? And so again, if women cannot speak in the church, then that negates this scripture, and scripture disagrees with itself. Yeah. And I believe that if we take the clues that we've looked at, it makes a lot more sense that Paul was just addressing specific women who were crazy, and who are casting off restraint, dressing like prostitutes, and felt like, well, now with my newfound freedom, I can just say whatever I want to say to whoever I want to say, whenever I want to say it. And Paul said, you need to be quiet. Right? Does that not make more sense and seem to tie in with the word a lot better? I mean, it does to me.